Randomness Galore. Hi guys, this is your host Kanha. Welcome to another episode of Randomness Galore. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the great Indian butterfly, or rather, the butterfly effect in Indian context. When I say butterfly effect, it essentially means that even the smallest of the actions at certain time and space can lead to an unimaginable far-reaching consequence at some other point of time and space. For an example, a butterfly flapping its wings in Amazons may lead to a storm in Indian Ocean, which I know is an exaggeration, but it very well sums up the idea. To take you into this journey, we have with us in our today's show, Garima. Garima is a lawyer who has graduated from NLIU Bhopal and takes keen interest in environmental laws. She also takes keen interest in current affairs. Hi Garima, welcome Hi, to the show. Hi Kanha, thank you for having me here. So Garima, if I remember it correctly, in late 1950s, Mao, mm-hmm. the Chinese supreme back then contemplated that, you know, sparrows were eating up a lot of grains. Mm-hmm, and he, right. Yeah, and he ordered that uh, all the sparrows be killed which in turn led to an amplified effect of, uh, you know, the growth of locusts in China. Because Mao missed the point that sparrows don't only eat grains, but also keep a check on locusts, which in turn led to increase in locust population and massive destruction of grains because locusts were the ones which were primarily feeding on the grains, which ultimately led to famine. And which essentially seems like a bullwhip effect or a butterfly effect of Mao's sparrow decision. And in uh, recent times, we have seen that there has been a major locust attack in India as well. Do you think this attack can also be root cause to some changes in policy or say a butterfly f- uh, wing flap in the past? What do you think? Well, um, the most recent locust plague is actually the third such instance in the past 12 to 13 months. You know, the first uh, most recent uh, such incident happened in May 2019 in Rajasthan. And then it reappeared in December 2019 in parts of Western India, including Gujarat and Rajasthan. And we have made such a big deal about it in the present only because its scale has been unprecedented. When in actual, it has been happening over the years. And, and, And the sad part is that the media doesn't even bother to cover it. Exactly. Because, you know media basically covers whichever thing fetches them more PR and somehow we are not that uh, bothered about the environmental things, the environmental changes happening around us. For instance, this recent uh, locust plague, desert locust plague started in um, Ethiopia, Somalia and eastern parts of Africa and then it traveled all across Saudi Arabia, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan and then reached the western parts of India. Uh, And like you mentioned, Uh, this butterfly effect, Uh, there are a number of reasons which uh, have led to these locust swarms, which is far more complicated this time than it was in the 1950s um, as to what happened in China during Mao Zedong's tenure. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, the recent swarms are basically a result of uh, the increased temperatures that have led to imbalance in the Indian Ocean dipole and two cyclonic activities in Eastern Africa, coupled with the skewered 
you know the skewed agroecological decisions taken by the eastern african countries mm-hmm. all of these have combined and created an ephemeral lake amidst desert mm-hmm. which has led to breeding grounds for these desert locusts and uh, talking of the butterfly effect this just goes on to show how impacts of climate change in one part can affect an entirely different region altogether so uh, for the listeners who are new to the terminology mm-hmm. uh, could you please uh, explain uh, the, the term that you used about uh, oceanic dipoles all right all right sure see indian ocean dipole is a phenomena um, which is often studied in physical geography mm-hmm. where there is intense warming of um, the western indian ocean in comparison to the eastern indian ocean mm-hmm. which causes uh, a lot of rainfall in the regions adjacent to the western indian ocean for instance eastern africa in our case this is usually caused when the pressure differences are disturbed mm-hmm. uh, assuring the uh, wind flow and causing rainfall even in regions that don't usually face rainfall mm-hmm. all causing wildfires and uh you know drier conditions in uh, exactly opposite areas like the wildfires that happened in australia in the month of january that's an interesting thing to know that uh, these disturbances yeah. can have yeah, far so you know we are all we are all part of the same picture we are all connected and somehow we fail to see it every time that's... and you know the government uh, talking mm-hmm. about how the government policies have um, reacted or have aggregated this have, have aggravated the situation mm-hmm. uh, the most uh, immediate response of the government to these locust swarms was uh, massive aerial spraying of um, pesticides on a massive scale mm-hmm. and you know uh, this would help control the situation in the present but it's not going to help in the long run because there's a very good chance that the localized swarms may develop immunity or insensitivity to the chemicals true so there would be other swarms too and there could be a good chance that these pesticides may no longer be effective on them and secondly uh, this is the peak season for bird migration mm. and the region under pesticide onslaught is actually a super highway for migratory birds that arrive into india so this is surely going to disturb their patterns and uh, with any disturbance in the patterns of migratory birds there is a good chance that the insects that these birds fed on mm-hmm. uh, would also be altered mm-hmm. and uh, if you remember uh, about uh, more than 1000 birds had died uh, near the sambar lake in jaipur last year mm-hmm. so a similar such occurrence could be happening every year now that's true and that's very disturbing that's right and you know Um, we have talked about these problems so it would be incomplete if we don't talk about what solutions mm-hmm. uh, were applied in the past and can be applied in the future mm-hmm. so a thing like a locust swarm is not something that can be completely uh, avoided it's supposed to happen it's going to happen what the farmers in india can do is to prepare well in advance mm-hmm. i mean what do you think are the proper ways of preparation against such attacks uh see looking at the past uh the british government in india in 1939 which was like 81 years ago uh the government back then had established the locust warning organization that used to monitor these swarms 
and they use several measures like utilizing oil screens by taking localized measures like a banging of, of you know utensils and creating noises mm -hmm. in the present times i think a similar such technique could be used on a small scale in localized areas like utilizing uh, you know flying planes to create noise so that these swarms can be broken mm -hmm. and these local swarms take such a great uh, magnitude only because they are able to breed so right. you know farmers the farmers can actually switch to growing their crops uh, and harvesting them much before the swarming season. Right. These right. locust breeding patterns can be monitored and their eggs can be destroyed. And that will be way easier than getting rid of the grown locusts. Right. And, you know, even newer technologies are um, being um, tried. There are serotonin inhibition and uh, there are other newer pesticides that are being worked up. So all these measures can be taken care of in small proportions instead of relying only on pesticides. Yeah, which which makes sense. Yeah. So uh, what you essentially are saying is that, you know, pesticides may have unintended effects on, on many other things than just these swarms. So it is better to have an early warning system to, you know, uh, uh, destroy the root cause itself. And if in case nothing works, then resort to pesticides, if, if yes. I'm not wrong. I mean, pesticides must, must be used, but only in uh, limited scales. Farmers have to be educated and uh, localized interventions have to be taken to get rid of this menace uh, and to get rid of the loss of uh, the harvest. That that makes sense. So, so in terms of food, we had uh, uh, discussed that, you know, uh, Due to certain negligence by certain governments at certain mm -hmm. region, we mm -hmm. have this locusts attack. But but then there's another major problem that India has been facing year after year after year. And and I think this also has got something to do with, you know, uh, the way we have been uh, incentivizing people across different regions for creating a problem in another region and and i'm talking about delhi pollution here and if if, if i'm not wrong it's it uh, one of its major cause is uh, you know backtrack to uh, the burning of remnants of grains back in punjab what do you think uh, you know is going on there and is is there a butterfly effect there as well well, uh, the butterfly effect or the chaos theory can be seen in almost every major climatic disaster or every major cli anthropogenic climate change that we are witnessing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember that uh, most recently, uh, New Delhi was uh, given the title of being the world's most polluted capital city for the second straight year by IQ Air Visual. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of reasons that have contributed to Delhi being this polluted. Uh, like you mentioned, crop residue burning, mm -hmm. uh, rapid industrialization, vehicular emissions, uh, mm -hmm. the construction boom and unregulated um, construction in the Delhi NCR area. Mm -hmm. So all these reasons combine and give us what we have. I will touch upon all these reasons, but I'll give special emphasis on the crop residue burning, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So. You see, um, there have been many anthropogenic causes, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll just list out the. As I mentioned, I'll just uh, list out the most popular one, which is increased use of personal vehicles. Mm 
Delhi has been uh, implementing the odd even policy. However, it, it comes with many exemptions. Two wheelers and female drivers are exempted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the passenger vehicles utilize diesel engines, which again whitewashes all the good deeds that are done by using the CNG vehicles. True. The BS4 to BS6 transition did not take place very smoothly. So these have all been symbolic half steps. When it comes mm-hmm. to the construction boom, the unplanned landscape development coupled with poor enforcement of dust control regulations has given rise to unprecedented air pollution and created urban heat islands in um, the NCR area, like areas like Ghaziabad or Gurugram. Mm-hmm. And this disturbs the balance of um, the heat, the insulation balance, and has even you know increased the electricity cons- consumption for cooling needs mm-hmm. by using ACs in offices and larger buildings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, coming to the topic of crop residue burning, the crop residue is uh, termed as pirali in northern parts of the country at least that is what i've heard from my father mm-hmm. so pirali burning mm-hmm. basically happens when the farmers are done um, harvesting the paddy crop and mm-hmm. they have to prepare the fields for growth of wheat and there is not much time between the two crops because of the intensive cultivation in these areas mm-hmm. and so the easiest cheapest and quickest way for them is to burn the crop residues mm-hmm. to get rid of the residue and to bring forth the wheat crops right right now the problem with crop residue is uh, it happens at such a time when the winds are not conducive mm-hmm. it happens during winters when mm-hmm. there is a um, greater chance of uh, you know um, the the smoke settling over western parts of up delhi and ncr because mm-hmm. of the air movement mm-hmm. and this further adds on to the smog during the winters and causes respiratory respiratory ailments to the people there mm-hmm. the farmers uh, burn the residue despite there being many measures uh, by the government to avoid such a situation right right so yeah these crops virally mm-hmm. is burned because um, the punjab government had mm-hmm. come up uh, the punjab government had come up with a mechanical device called happy seeder mm-hmm. which was invented by the punjab agricultural university mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the cost of uh, this of having this machine happy seeder is way higher than the cost that a person would incur in uh, hiring some laborers and getting the crop residue burnt mm-hmm. even the fines that are imposed by the state governments those collective fines are way lesser than the cost of the happy seeder so if i'm not wrong the fines for let's say uh, the highest part of land in the category that punjab government has uh, divided like above 1 acre above 5 acre it's, it's mm-hmm. i think not more than 10000 rupees yes and the cost of happy seeder is way more so okay. any farmer would any day opt to pay the fines and have this machine right plus plus they have this window of just 2 to 3 weeks if i'm not wrong exactly. between exactly and the roots of this goes back to the green revolution mm-hmm. uh, the first uh, green revolution happened sometimes in um, sometime in 1960s mm-hmm. and the second green revolution happened in the 80s mm-hmm. so the emphasis of the green revolution was on production of food grains right. in order to avoid uh, the food shortage in india mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. it was not as much focused on um, envi- on having environmentally sustainable agriculture true true we uh- did achieve the aim of uh, avoiding food grain shortage of having enough grains for the country mm-hmm. but we it was a very expensive decision in the long term for example many uh, indigenous varieties were destroyed uh, due to subsidized electricity and uh, excessive usage of tube wells the ground water got depleted in northern india mm-hmm. then people shifted to growing paddy uh export quality basmati rice mm-hmm. which take longer time uh, to grow and harvest mm-hmm. because of which not sufficient time is available between paddy crop and the wheat crop and the entire uh, agriculture pattern in the north indian states got distorted we mm-hmm. started growing paddy despite not having the conditions for growing a crop like paddy yeah yeah so if if i understand it correctly punjab is a arid region which is not particularly suited for growing rice but since punjabi farmers no, have actually, this actually uh, punjab is a very uh, fertile land yeah however yeah. Um, the temperature however paddy is one such crop that requires being submerged in water for yeah, a very yeah. long duration mm-hmm. so it is more suitable to be cultivated in regions of west bengal or the Agreed. coastal states right right so one more thing that i i w- wanted to uh, talk about was the incentive that government is giving in terms of free electricity and then uh, free water and then msp and and procuring mm-hmm. maximum of its uh, uh, you know purchases from punjab is that what uh, is adding to you know the farmers continuing to still grow rice in in a region like punjab when well, definitely uh, definitely it added to um the farmers being so drawn towards growing paddy however the situation is changing now mm-hmm. and the most recent times the government has uh, emphasized on growing of pulses and also mm-hmm. crop diversification mm-hmm. so that the farmers start growing other crops too but mm-hmm. you know as they say habit is a shirt made of iron they've yeah. been growing rice for far too long mm-hmm. that it's now not the i mean surely there would be some some scope of crop diversification but it's not going to happen very soon um, but the government has been giving uh, minimum support prices for different crops about 24 to 26 crops that i remember mm-hmm. and the uh, msp given for millets and pulses has been increased in those areas and and the msp given being given for rice has been decreased mm-hmm. uh, so that the farmers can be drawn to growing other crops that are more suited for that area than to growing paddy on recurrent basis and because of this export quality paddy mm-hmm. the rice uh, the paddy takes a far longer time to get ready you know mm-hmm. um this export quality basmati rice is usually harvested in the month of october or november mm-hmm. and this is exactly the time when the next wheat crop has to be grown leaving right. a very small time gap and thus making way for pirali mm-hmm. burning or crop residue burning mm-hmm. So Garima, you also mentioned uh, heat islands there. Could you please elaborate what exactly are these for our listeners? The construction boom in uh, Delhi and CR in areas same like Gurugram or Ghaziabad have resulted in them being turned into urban heat islands. Heat island effect is a terminology which is used when a localized area has 
uh, is excessively hot and has uh, greater temperatures in comparison to its nearby areas. Uh, this phenomena is seen in uh, areas of uh, particular constructions. This phenomena is seen in areas with excessive construction, like I said, because such areas, due to being transformed into concrete jungles, um, have greater affinity to getting heated. They have no greenery, no wetlands for moderating the temperature. The increase in temperature causes these areas to have greater energy consumption for cooling purposes, which further aggravates uh, the requirement for electricity and more emissions and further aggravating the heat island effect. So, uh, on the one hand, we have heat island effect, while on the other hand, uh, we saw Mumbai flooding due to cyclone. We had to close our sewage systems, the sewage outlets to avoid water uh, from entering the city due to high tides. And uh, this isn't just one time. This issue is something which recurs every year. Mumbai floods every year during the monsoons. Uh, do you think this also is due to uh, some sort of failure on part of urban planning? Definitely. And definitely. Um, you mentioned monsoon. Right. Uh, you know, the funny bit about the monsoon in India is that we get most of our rainfall in a very limited duration. Right, right. And um, this particular instance makes the coastal areas and the lower riparian states very vulnerable whenever mm -hmm. it, whenever there is a rainfall, be it uh, due to monsoon or due to any cyclonic activity or cloud burst or whatever. Mm -hmm. Taking mm -hmm. Mumbai, for instance, mm -hmm. um, if I remember correctly, last year Mumbai received about 944 millimeters of rainfall, which was a record higher. It broke mm -hmm. 100 years of record. And mm -hmm. this rainfall happened within a span of 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the unsustainable landscape, the unsustained urbanization patterns in Mumbai, mm -hmm. coupled with the outdated drainage, mm -hmm. this is the perfect recipe for disaster. Because all those constructions mm -hmm. require land mm -hmm. and there is no land. So there is clear destruction of mangrove systems. There's encroachment of salt pans and wetlands, especially, mm -hmm. you know, the Meethi River in Mumbai. Right, right. And all of this combines to create the flooding in that city mm. because the water just gets no place to drain out. That's true. And, and that's even, sad. Yeah, and you could see um, the most recent cyclone, Nisarg. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it caused uh, it caused uh, situations are similar to what happened last year in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. And not just Mumbai, um, we saw super cyclone Amphan on the eastern coast. Mm -hmm. Calcutta and major cities in West Bengal were completely flooded mm -hmm. because there has been such unprecedented encroachment of wetlands mm -hmm. and poor drainage that it is bound to flood the cities if, if you know, proper storm surge barriers aren't built. And the mangroves play a very great role in this because they act as natural barriers against storm surges. But mm -hmm. the increased construction is leading to depletion of these mangrove systems. So essentially to say our uh, 
administrators didn't foresee that you know cutting of mangroves might lead to this and and they allowed this to happen and this has led to you know disaster across multiple geographies in india is that correct yes we can see it that way or they may have foreseen but they may not have really expected it to happen far too soon mm-hmm. and you know even in cities like Um, the major cities like we already discussed like delhi and cr or say mumbai mm-hmm. the pollution um is majorly comprising of the aerosols mm-hmm. right the dust emissions and aerosols right and they have been weakening monsoons like you asked me mm-hmm. because these aerosols uh, or these dust clouds mm-hmm. they shield the earth from sun's rays mm-hmm. and they you know depress the land and sea temperature balance Right, and right. pressure difference and monsoon is produced by pressure differences the differences yeah. in temperature and this gets weakened so mm-hmm. does the rainfall pattern in the especially in the coastal areas mm-hmm. in fact monsoon in itself is a topic for one episode i believe it's it's such a wonderful <laughs> That's phenomenon right, yeah so moving on uh, one more area in recent events uh, where i see the butterfly effect of better policies could have led to better outcomes is basically the way we handled covid situation and especially the migrant uh, crisis uh, what do you think about this well talking about the butterfly effect you know even the smallest of policies be it related to food security or slum rehabilitation or development of cluster towns all of them yield to some long term ramifications we have seen the migrants leaving their workplaces and going back to their home states i see this as a policy failure to some extent their home states uh, for instance let's say bihar or uttar pradesh didn't have proper jobs didn't have means to employ them and the states of their employment uh couldn't provide them proper slum rehabilitation policies or proper food security because of which they had to go back to their home states had there been a you know something like portability of a ration card something that was aimed by the one nation one ration card scheme which was launched in june 2019 these migrants would have been able to stay put in the state where they had been uh, at the time of the lockdown and they could have received their sanctioned quota of ration that they are entitled under the national food security act 2013 via public distribution system from any fair price shop and now that these mi- these migrants have returned to their home states i'm very sure there would be further upsurge in the covid-19 cases so you know these um, disasters no doubt are inevitable but their scope definitely can be contained if we have better policies Uh, better schemes that are thoroughly implemented rather than just being promising on the paper in short i'd like to say you know this is how seemingly limited changes in the policy can have much wider consequences if butterfly effect can have um can create chaos in a disturbing way small changes um on the good front can also have long term uh, positive consequences
True. I totally agree with you that, uh, you know, the same policies or the same mistakes or the outliers which led to blunders due to butterfly effect can also, if implemented correctly, can lead to better outcomes as well. And and that gives us uh, hope. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Garima, for taking time off your schedule and being a part of the show. Thank you. I mean, it has been a pleasure to be talking to you and discussing these issues. Thank you.